Welcome along to the very latest Forever Blue podcast. Um, I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for joining us. If you follow me on Twitter, and obviously you watch some of the other things that I do, uh, I've been nominated now for an award in the Vlogging Awards, the Football uh, Vlogging Awards. And to vote for me, might as well plug myself, (laughs) then what you need to do is you need to go on footballvloggingawards.co.uk slash vote now and put my name in against either vlogging or podcasting. Uh, Or you can equally go on uh, Twitter, at the FBAs, and just put my name in there and what you're voting for, which is either the vlog or the podcast. Uh, Thanks very much to Hot Click Marketing, who sponsor the podcast, which I really appreciate. Uh, They do lots of stuff with Google ads and prioritising. I was talking to the boss, uh, Tony, the other day. It's fascinating. Go on the website and have a look at it. It's called hotclickmarketing.co.uk. And we're here at the Holiday Inn which is at Central Park in Manchester, and I have my guests with me. They vary from week to week, quality to quality. I'm not going to rank them. Oh, yeah. so, so I'm just going to say, introduce yourselves for me. Uh, hello, I'm Matty Dove, uh, the Under-25 City Matters rep. Uh, just like Raheem Sterling, I've scored my hat-trick this week, uh, third time on the podcast, so I'm expecting some sort of prize. I know it's not as <laughs> prestigious as a Premier League match ball, but yeah, happy to be here again. Hi, I'm Emily. Um, I've been on the podcast quite a few times More now. More than Matty. No. You never go at him then. <laughs> no, no. Um, I could just keep coming back. And, yeah, like I've a been, bad penny. <laughs> like a bad smell. Um, and I've been a City fan since like the late 80s and I'm still here, obviously, and I hope you enjoy listening. And if you're a, a, a regular to my YouTube channel, then you'll recognise Gary Neville oh, next to me. Oh, no. um, He's gone there again. I made, himself, made a name for himself on there. And, but let's introduce yourself properly. Yeah, so I'm a 25-year-old City fan, Harlan, um, from Oldham. Um, I've supported City all my life since '93. Um, and this is my, I think it's my sixth, sixth cappy. And uh, last week I was in international duty. And a couple of weeks ago I was also in international duty as well. So I couldn't uh, play league games. Right, so we're, here. we're going to talk about a whole load of things, and if you're listening to the podcast, and you will hear later on us talk about Raheem Sterling, Ilkay Gundogan, who's obviously there's been some talk about a new contract, the Watford game, the fan attacks that have happened, even though they're not specifically to do with City, the title race, and maybe just touch a little bit on the Champions League draw. We're recording this on a Monday night, the night before the Schalke game. We can't be too presumptuous, but on the basis that if City do get through, who would you fancy? But we'll come back to that later. What I want to start off with in this section is VAR. Now, I know it's a general topic. Uh, The one instance recently of VAR which was controversial to me was the away game at Schalke when Nicolas Otamendi was adjudged to have handballed and then was sent off as well. Now, personally, I didn't think that was um, a handball. Um, and also, I mean, I know we're a city podcast, but we saw the incident in Paris um, and United getting through in the last stages. And some people listening to this might think that the reason I'm mentioning this is because of some sort of anti-United agenda, which it isn't. It's just to talk about the subject generally. And before you give me your views, my personal view is that VAR should be and was touted as being used for clear and Uh, obvious mistakes what seems to have happened I didn't watch the World Cup I was away and you guys probably did watch the World Cup and people keep referring back to the World Cup and saying how well 
it was administered in the World Cup. So I can't comment on that. But what I've seen of VAR, now in the Champions League, in the domestic cups, and occasionally when I watch another league where it's used, is that, first of all, there's a lot of inconsistency in the way it's being used. So I understand why the Premier League haven't introduced it at this stage. But also the fact that it isn't being used for clear and obvious mistakes. They're looking at, is his kneecap you know, all over over the line. I didn't think that was how it was supposed to be being used. And, and, and to add to that, there seems to be a new version, certainly in Europe, of if the ball hits an arm, even if it's not deliberate, it's still handball. We know they're introducing that actually as a rule next year, that if it hits the arm. And one of my concerns is that um, I mean, this is a, a much bigger discussion now, but that everybody's going to be defending like this. And if you even slightly turn... You know, that if it just catches your arm, yeah. that's going to be a penalty. And we're going to see loads of penalties. So there's a whole lot of stuff here about VAR. How do you feel about it? <sighs> to be honest, I'm in, I'm in favour of VAR, but only if it works right. And on the basis we've seen so far, it's not working right. The problem we've got is that when you watch replays like the Man United handball, he's watching it six, seven times in slow motion and it looks so much worse in slow motion. If you think how fast that ball is getting pinged at him and he's literally got his arm by his side, in real time, it's never a penalty, but he's watching it so slowly, it's almost as if he's done it on purpose. But I don't think I don't think it's working well at the minute and you can't introduce it until it is working properly. I mean the one in the City game where he couldn't even go to the monitor because the monitor wasn't working so he couldn't even watch it himself. That's just ridiculous. If this system is going to be introduced, it has to be 100% foolproof and it's not at the minute. So what's your opinion? Should it be introduced? Not at the minute, no. It's frustrating. Ultimately, you want yeah, it though by the sense of it. Eventually, I do because there's sometimes when you see a goal and it's clearly offside, you're like, oh, if they could just have one look at it, they could give it as an offside. That is a frustration. But, but when that's it's a when clear it's, and exactly, obvious mistake. And 100% in favour. Why would you not want a decision? Because if a decision goes against you like that, of course you want it to be rectified in the moment. But when it's something like you say about a goal or something, then it's, it's a lot more of a complicated matter and they haven't managed to rectify the problem so far. So at the minute, I'd say no. Yeah, I'm in favour for it and I agree with Matty to, with, with all of that. Um, it has to be consistent. The The problem with the Otamendi incident is that he you could see that he was moving and he tried everything he could to avoid it. So, you know, this he needed a reaction time and it, it's not deliberate, is it? it, it there was nothing deliberate about it whatsoever. Um, but it's frustrating for me when I see players as well doing the, the sign. And that happens all the time now. You see them badgering the referee and the officials and going up to him and doing like the, te the television sign, begging for the replay. And the officials need to be strong enough to kind of rise above that and not fall into the trap of, like you say, it should be a clear and obvious and not just nitpicking and going for every little thing. And if a player comes begging, they've got to be like, well, if they know in the heart of hearts, they've got to be like, no, you know, they've got to be strong. But across the board, you know, it's, it's frustrating when it goes to VAR and you're in the stadium and you're waiting because you don't know what's happening. It's for TV, isn't it? That's the problem. TV viewers yeah. might enjoy VAR more because they are right in on the decision making. Mm. We in the stadium are not. If and not can, every stadium has these big screens. If they can, yeah, 
that's the problem. If the stadiums do have the big screens and they can somehow show us on the big screens what's going on, then that would be brilliant and fair enough because that would involve the fans a little bit more inside the ground. But they're frightened to show it in case the crowd reacts to what is they perceive as a bad decision. Well, they which should. Is- because you'd react at home, wouldn't you? I reacted definitely with the Ottomani thing. I was screaming at my television. I was going crazy. And the fact of the matter, like Matty said, that the, the monitor wasn't working for the official, that, that's just appalling. And yeah. it's so inconsistent. It, you can't implement something and it not be on the money every single time. Everything has to be right and consistent across the board. And if it's not, then it, there's flaws, isn't there? Um, I'm a big fan of the AR personally, and um, this is something that um, it, it's a subject that me and my co-presenter um, on the radio station that I present the show on now spoke about over two and a half years ago, and we we actually wrote some notes out with regards to VAR and and what we think could happen if if it was employed in football, which it wasn't even spoken about massively at the time that we first said could it be used like it's in tennis, could it be used like it's in rugby, that kind of thing. But you see, you in, that's interesting that you say that because in tennis, the decisions are pretty much black and white. Yeah. It's all goal line technology, isn't yeah, it? Well, Whereas in rugby, and, and I've watched a lot of rugby league down the years, they use it and the, the game is slowed right down. Mm. And, and those explosive fan moments when a goal goes in are destroyed because almost every single try, it seems, the referee yeah, bottles out, out yeah. and he himself... It's not, not necessarily yeah. the fans who are, the players of the opposition <clears throat> that are doing it, but he starts drawing this because he bottles out of every decision. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have a five-minute wait. Uh, and to me, that, that spoils... The, one of the great things about football is it's a fluid game. Yeah. It keeps moving all yeah. the time. And you lose the... Pa- is that not something that worries you? It is, you? it is. But the thing that we spoke about is that, that if it was to be employed, like not, not like tennis, because like you say, it's very, you know, line judges. It's like a goal line technology version of, of Hawkeyes, they call it in tennis. We were more talking about the way that it's implemented. So, for example, managers get five challenges per game each. And then if they perceive um, a goal to have been offside, for example, or a ball to have been played when the player was offside, or, or it's, it's a handball, or it's gone in off, 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 off an arm, or something like that, the manager has the opportunity to call and say to the referee, or to the fourth official, can you have a word with the referee in his ear? Can the like, or if he's near the linesman, can you have a word with the referee? We'd like to challenge that specific incident. If it's not, you lose a challenge and it's not given, the goal, for example, uh, if it is, your challenge has been worthwhile and you've got the correct decision. If you run out of challenges because you've used them in the, in the you know, during the course of the game and, and you've, you've wasted them because you've been trying to get a goal that maybe you're 70% sure isn't a goal or isn't a ball or whatever, then then, then that's, that's, that's your fault, I, that's I your problem. I get that plan, but... It might not happen and it probably would never be able to be implemented in football. Well, it's an interesting but it concept, but, but I still come back to, the, to my fundamental thing. You tell me, am I right or wrong? I get the feeling from Matter that you agree with what I'm saying, that it has to be a clear and obvious mistake. Yeah. I have no problem with clear and obvious mistake, but clear and obvious mistake is not the way it seems to be going. Exactly. There was an example of it um, at... If you, sorry the, to interrupt you, but no, if, no, if, you, if you have a... If the, the officials are taking five minutes to make a decision because they're looking at it from 15 it. different angles, yeah. then straight away, yeah. Yeah, that but, cannot be a clear and obvious mistake. But if it's going to cost you a place in say the FA Cup final do you not want the right decision 
if it's a clear and obvious mistake, yes. Even if it's not clear and obvious? No, no, then really? I'm happy to go with the officials. You should know what you're looking for, though, Ian. I know what you're trying to say. You should know what you're looking for. And if you're looking for a specific incident within a move, you, you'd be able to... You should be able... The, te- the way the technology is and the way it's been used in Germany, for example, and in the World Cup, you should be able to pinpoint what you're actually looking for and have a decision within 30 seconds. Yeah, and if that decision can't like be given to you quickly, five minutes, then, then it, by definition it is not a clear and obvious like, it's mistake. Like, it's, as if, it's as if what you're saying here is as if they're spending too much time looking at it because they don't want the correct decision to be... It, it's like the opposite of what they're actually looking for, so right. they want to try and find a reason why the goal shouldn't be given. You, we're going, all City fans, you know, right? We all watch the game in Germany. Just as an experiment, did you think Otamendi handled it? Well, he did handle it, but it wasn't a penalty. So you, you wouldn't have given a penalty? No penalty. I wouldn't. I think it's exactly the same as the Kimpembe one. It's been fired at him. Um, it's hit his arm. It's in a natural position. You can see him moving away. So what we're saying him. here is, all right, there's people who will say we're just biased, but three people, and I've not even expressed a view, have said that VAR got it wrong. But he couldn't even see it. He couldn't even so therefore, it. it's a debatable point. Yeah. It's not a clear and obvious mistake. Yeah, that could have been that's anyone. I've lost my case. No, but I'm my saying Lord. it's inconsistent. <laughs> I've already said that. Yeah. It's inconsistent it and it needs to be consistent. But what makes it inconsistent, the fact that it isn't clear and obvious. Yeah. The other issue you've got... If it's got, clear and obvious, every decision's right. The other issue yeah. you've got is, because I was thinking, well, you could just use it on offsides only, and then because offsides are clear and obvious, they've got the line and they can see where... But then you've got how long does the play carry on for? Because you've got the problem where the linesman doesn't want to raise his flag because he wants <clears> to see if there's a goal, and if there's not, they can carry on. But hang, then, hang on, hang on. Right, the, the, Watf- the, the first Raheem Sterling goal against Watford. You've watched that? Yeah, yeah it was awesome. Should, was, should that have been counted or not? No. Not really. It no. shouldn't have been counted? No. So the referees consulted I'm, the I'm linesman too. Mind with it because Sterling has gone. He's, he becomes active as soon as he tries to swing his foot at the ball. This just proves my point. Yeah. The fact that you're caught in two minds. You're debating the fact it. That then we're all. De- it's not a clear and right. obvious mistake. Well, the referee made a decision. And the other match doesn't kick the ball at Sterling. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of VAR. The Arsenal FA Cup semi-final a couple of years ago spoke on another podcast about this when we discussed VAR. Um, somebody had a goal disallowed a City player. I can't remember who it was now. Is it the one that went out? The ball went out? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it should have stood. And potentially we, we could have got through. If it would have stood, potentially we would have been through to the FA Cup final. It should have stood. We came out and went back to our hotel and there was two FA officials in there who both agreed that it should have been a goal. If they knew and they spoke to us and said that the referee was wrong that day, the officials got it wrong and they will be reprimanded for it. If they knew, stood there, we've got our journey home to make from London, having been told by FA officials that they got it wrong How demoralising is that, that they actually know half an hour after they get, maybe not even half an hour, they know that it was wrong. That's a fair point. We'll come back to but VAR that's again. Clear it, it comes down, doesn't it, Ian, to... It's down to... A, it's robbed us of a place in the FA Cup final and potential silverware. It's a, it's a massive decision. It, it comes down to interpretation of the output at the end of the day. It's how you interpret it. At the end of the day, the, without VAR, it's the referee or the fourth official or the linesman's interpretation of what's going on in that specific situation... With VAR, that should that should further enhance what they have got with their own yeah. 
two eyes. Really? The referee shouldn't have to then go Then they're reinterpreting something. Yeah, they're watching it. They should be able to make a decision without going, oh, we're not sure. You go and have a look you, at yeah, it. Yeah, you, you've got it wrong. Yeah. Because it's a clear and obvious mistake. I think I've made my point. Right, OK, let's stop the VAR chat. And in terms of you watching on YouTube, then that's where this video finishes. So thanks very much for watching. If you want to listen to the full full video, the full podcast, then go to SoundCloud, go to iTunes, uh, go to any of your favourite platforms, I think, Spotify, and you'll find us on there. And subscribe, give us five stars and all that so we get up the ratings. (laughs) And if you want to vote for me, footballbloggingawards.co.uk slash vote dash now or vote at Ian Cheeseman at the FBA so thanks very much we're going to continue on with the podcast now so let's talk now about Raheem Sterling and uh, obviously there's been people it seems waking up for the first time uh, to the possibility that he could be player of the year it's all been seemingly a shoo-in that Virgil van Dijk uh, was everybody's favourite I don't watch Liverpool enough to know how well he's playing, really. But what I do know is that Raheem Sterling's been playing exceptionally well. I'm not sure up till now he's actually been my City Player of the Year. Because my Bernardo Silva would be mine. Um, But the three goals against Watford, the way he's playing generally, and he is an exceptional player, has brought him to the the top of the pile now. What what do you make of, of that? I think it's going to come down to who wins the league, to be honest. I mean, if Van Dijk, if Liverpool win the league, Van Dijk has been instrumental in them winning the league, if, if they do, because you can't deny he's an absolute colossal of a defender. He's brilliant. Whenever I've watched it, I don't like praising Liverpool or any of their players, but you can't deny he is a brilliant defender. So if he manages to help them win the league, I wouldn't have any qualms with him winning it. But if City win it, then it, I think it is between Sterling and Bernardo. Um, maybe Sterling gets a bit more praise because of the negative backlash that he's had in the past. Maybe that elevates him the other side of it because it's like, well, look how much he's improved. But I think Bernardo and Sterling have come on heaps and bounds this season. They've both been absolutely magnificent. And we always said, I think most City fans always believed Sterling had it in him. He always had talent, but we always said he's got to improve his finishing. And boy, has he. But what was he? What was he when we first signed him? It was far too predictable. Yeah. Which goes back to what we criticise Mahrez for. So eventually, will it go out of his system? Sterling was he? a bit younger. Of course he was. Mahrez is in his Of course prime he was, now. but you can you can easily knock that predictability out of a player if yeah. you if you find the thing that you need to knock out of them or that you need to tweak. But Pep's come out obviously today and said that he's not made Sterling the player he is. Sterling's made himself the player he That's is. That's Pep being humble. But that is Pep yeah. being humble. Yeah. He has definitely influenced Raheem Sterling's Massive. style of play and the player that he is and not only that the man he is off the field as well confidence as well confidence is such a key when Sterling was missing these one-on-ones it, it, mentally it must have an effect on you and next time he goes for a goal he's going to be thinking too much about it whereas Pep sort of helped him improve his game and improve his confidence now where he goes for a goal he's like I'm going to score and now he's a brilliant player yeah I mean last season for me was was his breakthrough wasn't it really for, for uh, for us as City fans, and I think it takes being a City fan to really appreciate just how good he is. It takes watching him week in, week out, and seeing what he's capable of doing to actually understand him as a footballer because opposition fans still maybe have that niggling doubt about him, but we get to witness what he's capable of all the time. He had balls of steel at Wembley to step up for that winning penalty in where he grew up and absolutely nail it 
It absolutely, and that's a testament to the confidence that he's got. And I think it's really, really tragic that all the confidence has really thrived because of that Chelsea fan. I was going to that say, that, that moment that really showed his maturity, didn't it? was the pinnacle, that was a turning point for Sterling because he came out and he stood up to the media and the press. He came out and tweeted about it and put it all on Instagram. And he said about... Um, the, the media with the black players and, and you know they treat them completely different from white players the, you know everything about the bling is all associated with black yeah. players and he's absolutely right and fair play to Sterling because after that he's come out he's having fun again he's doing like cheeky tweets and stuff and he's really getting involved he looks more relaxed he looks like a weight has been lifted off his shoulders and it's so refreshing to see him just playing with so much more confidence and fluidity and freedom you're right to highlight everything you just highlighted I'll take it back even slightly just a few minutes earlier because in the heat of the moment we saw a game at the weekend between Aston Villa and Birmingham City which we'll talk about later on the, the context of that but where Jack Grealish got attacked now the secondary part of that was that later in the game he scored and then jumped wrongly in my opinion into the crowd and potentially caused another the problem now that to me was a level of immaturity mm. from Jack Grealish nobody condones uh, you know doesn't condemn what happened to him but what he did was still wrong now when Raheem Sterling received that racist abuse from the crowd he could have reacted wrongly because that's in a split second in emotion when you're two or three yards from what's happening in front of you imagine if he'd reacted in some way tried to give it back to the the people that were barracking him but he didn't he he absolutely held himself perfectly with dignity smiled and then went away from it and to me all his reaction afterwards Whilst it's all right what you've said, he had time to think about that. He had time to be advised about how to deal with that. But that split second, nobody could be there on his shoulder going, do this, do that, smile at them. He couldn't do that. That comes from him. And that really, really impressed me. He's he's been racially abused outside the training ground before as well, hasn't he? I don't know if he actually got attacked physically. He got kicked, didn't he? He got kicked, yeah. I'll the amount, that. the amount that guy has had to put with is is ridiculous, and it has been uh, created by the media. It, it is so bizarre to me that he gets booed wherever he goes. Why? Why? I would love to ask a fan of Newport, for example. I'd love to why, get a panel of fans. Why are you booing Raheem Sterling? What reason have you got to boo him? Apart from the fact that he's a young black lad who's doing well for himself. John Stones made a fifty million pound move from Everton to. City, exactly the same as Raheem Sterling trying to better his career. He's never been booed by anyone. So why is it that Raheem Sterling gets this treatment? And I think that's why City fans so passionately want Sterling to do well, because it's a big two fingers up to the media and every other fan base in the country. It's like I mentioned before as well, during the World Cup, um, when I was in the pub and everybody was cheering like a massive England game and uh, everybody was cheering like the England team every the, the names were going yeah. up and it's like where where got Sterling and I, I was on my own the whole place it was like boom oh, there was there was there was, there was I'd say easily 200 people in Jesse's work that day when we watched the I think the Sweden game 1-2-0 didn't we 
And, yeah, that's um, the game. It was the game they were doing the. It was when they were doing the national anthem. Yeah. And they, they cheered every player. It was the same where we were. So it's it's a pandemic across the country. Yeah. Then it's not just where you were. I mean, we yeah. were in completely different places. Manchester and the City same Center. thing same was happening in every pub across the whole country. Sterling was the only player that people shouldn't be playing. He shouldn't be playing. And I turned around to one guy and says, "Give me a reason why he shouldn't be playing. Without him in that team right now, this system doesn't work." He's, Nobody he's else plays well without Sterling in this in this team right now. So give me a reason why. And these are uneducated. And I'm not yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to say I'm a better football fan than people. These are uneducated football fans that watch like Paul always says Ian with pre- with with peripheral vision. Yeah, you we watch him every week. Watch him so every we week. understand what he's what he does. He delivers constantly. It's people who are short sighted and don't see the bigger picture of his game as well. Like he was he, the way he played in the World Cup. He was making spaces. He was outstanding. He was, it yeah. doesn't matter all the time if he's not scoring goals he's a team player as well and he's got plenty of assists this season as well as goals but he's not just got the numbers has he like you said yeah. he's, he's, he's what he does off the ball it's what he does to create space for yeah. other players it's the unselfish passing it's, it's everything Sterling does everything that people say he doesn't do yeah. it's unbelievable he's it's, a you wonder what people he? are watching yeah. sometimes you, you could argue that the the negativity comes from his bad performances for England, but Deli Ali was just as bad as. And I think it's his connection to Liverpool as well, and his yeah. early antics maybe as a 17, 18, exactly. 19 year old kid. But when have we, when, like you said, Matty, when has when has anybody ever held on to something for so long without letting it go? Do you know what I mean? Beckham wasn't innocent when he first started out, you know, the Argentina red card. Nobody, you know, he got a lot of abuse, but it all kind of just, it's all kind of disappeared after a short while. Sterling will have it from the start of his career to the end. It's not even just footballing ability though, is it? The fact he goes in Poundland or the fact he didn't own up to the referee about yeah. A, a dive for a penalty. Should he, should he have up about that the other day and said I swung for the ball exactly. and I threw the that's hit it off me, but I actually was active. So that's the way the media um, have made it. The, and See? all the abuse he got for the gun tattoo put completely under the spotlight oh what a bad role model because you've got a tattoo of your gun but when it was explained to people what it's actually about and it's a reference to his father um, passing away people are still giving him grief over it in the football in a positive sorry just to end on a positive with the Sterling thing that's why it makes us so happy as City fans to watch him scoring hat tricks competing for player of the year and going for the he could even get the top goal scorer I'm not sure if he will with Aguero there and um, Aubameyang as well but imagine Aguero made, sets him up yeah. for the last goal of the season and he, he beats Aguero but it to makes it so much sweeter the <laughs> fact it's, that, it's a possibility the fact it? that everyone else has been so against it it makes it so much sweeter to watch him I'd love him to win so the golden well. boot I think so it'd be absolutely outstanding for given him the games that City have got left and you know we're, we're, we're going to talk about the title race so we can do it now if you like and I know that Emily's brought the notes yeah, of all yeah. of the games that are left yeah. um, we've talked in the past about the value of certain players now irreplaceable they are and I guess the ultimate thing is nobody is irreplaceable but the most irreplaceable players are possibly I think I can paraphrase what we've said in the past Fernandinho yeah. uh, probably Edison because Murich is untried as a, as a backup and probably Aguero I would say now mm. we've seen City cope without Kevin De Bruyne and we've seen City cope without other players and at the moment they're coping without Fernandinho so maybe that shoots that argument down but I'm beginning to think that if City are going to win two, three or four trophies this season they've obviously already got one in the bag that actually any type of an injury or absence of Raheem Sterling becomes as crucial as any other player or Bernardo for me 
Yes, because yes. David can't do yeah. what David did do two, three seasons ago. And Bernardo's starting to take that rate, them, them reins. It's interesting that I saw someone strings. tweeting about the spine, you know, Heart Company, um, Yaya Aguero. He saw there's this new spine. Forgive me, I can't remember who said it, but it's like now it's Edison Laporte, Bernardo Sterling. I thought that was quite an interesting. Well, Edison Laporte, Fernandinho, Bernardo well, Sterling. Yeah, 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 yeah. But end. of the old guard, but, yeah, so to exactly. speak. Yeah, but of the new guard, yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. I agree with that. Bernardo and Sterling are so crucial to us now. I mean, Sane it? comes in and out. Uh, Mares comes in and out. Bernardo can play in different positions and has, to a certain extent, come in and out. But the one player that never seems to miss, and I don't just want to make this about Sterling, but we start, we were talking about him anyway. But the one player who always seems to be a first choice for Pep in the crunch games is now Raheem Sterling. Yeah. And I don't know if that Big sort of player, goes under the wires a bit and people don't notice it. But, but it's it's obvious to me. Yeah. Well, he's a game changer, isn't he? And for me, at the weekend, actually, the first half, he dropped off like a 5 out of 10 performance. And second half, he came out and it was a completely different story. And just to just to touch, uh, take it away from Sterling a little bit, I noticed something with Sane as well, because when he came on, um, I'm really rooting for Sane. I'm a massive, massive fan of Sane. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, he came on and he just wasn't running. He, there was like Bernardo, just his workmate completely put him to shame. And Pep was screaming at him, calls him over like that, waving, absolutely screaming at him. And after that, he was superb. But it's a shame that I don't get to see more of him because I mean Sterling at the moment is just Sterling's world class. Incredible. He's world yeah. class. Third He's goal against Watford was unbelievable. And today in the press conference, um, when he was asked about Sterling. Uh, the, the manager said, uh, you know, like you mentioned already, didn't want to take any credit for it. Gave all the credit to the to the player, but just as he did after the game against Watford in the post-match press conference, he he reaffirmed that today by saying he can get better. And somebody challenged him today and said, how would he get better? And he said, well, he didn't, twice he didn't track the fullback back. Um, he didn't. Um, do this, that, and that. And he actually yeah, gave, yeah, not just the generalisation, yeah. he actually gave a couple of specific examples. And uh, and you think, first of all, that says a lot about the manager, but it also says a lot about the way Sterling is taking on all that information because yeah. at the moment, Sane probably is guilty of more of those types of things mm. that is annoying Pep. I'm not saying he's not a magnificent footballer, yeah. but the fact he's not starting every big game is Pep, without saying it, saying he's making more mistakes than Sterling. He's making more mistakes than Mares, whoever, and they're not playing. Yeah, as so regular. Sterling's making yeah. mistakes, but he must be making more than him, yeah. and that's why he's not playing yeah. over him. But it goes back to like we're saying: you can score goals in a game. You can you can get all the numbers in the world in a game. You could you could you could score three and assist two, and still. For me, have a poor game yeah. if you're not doing what the manager's requesting of you. For example, if we go back to the Shakhtar game at home, we won 6 0. It was one of Jesus' worst performances in a city shirt, but the guy scored an hat trick. He missed a chance in the first half that was easier than the chip that he scored in the 90th minute. And it just shows you sometimes that players can play poorly, or not poorly, but might not play the way the manager wants them to play, but still get the results in terms of their own stats and their own their own goals and whatnot. We've got two more podcasts before City play again in the Premier League because Fulham in three weeks, nearly three weeks as we sit here now, is the next league game. So I'm sure we'll come back to this subject in the future. But let's just touch on what's left now. City have got five away games and three at home of the remaining eight. And I would identify, uh, without looking at your list, Emily, United away, 
Crystal Palace away and probably Spurs at home. Burnley away maybe a little bit as the key key games. They're all key. City have got to win every game. Every those game. look like yeah. the hardest ones. Do you agree with that? And have you, you you've looked at Liverpool yeah. fixtures? Uh, well, yeah, I went on the Anfield wrap today, so I was comparing and contrasting. And to be quite honest with you, I don't really think there is a great deal in it because. I am of the opinion that when you play a team threatened re- with relegation, yeah. they're fighting for the life. You know, they've got to go to Cardiff and they that is going to be a really tough... And, and Newcastle away for them... Is, Newcastle are on a really good run right be, now. And, they will go all good. It's blazing. two from the end, that. that You hope... <laughs> it says weird <laughs> to say this, but you hope Newcastle aren't saved by then, don't you? I mean, for us as well. <laughs> I mean, we can't forget last season when we had that absolutely colossal week where we played Liverpool in the Champions League, United and Liverpool in the Champions League again. And we were all like, wow, what a week. And we lost all three games. Yeah. And that point in the season, can you imagine if history repeated itself? We're not through to the quarterfinals yet, but if we got through, we could potentially draw Liverpool, United, if they get through. It United could be, through, but Liverpool. It could be four Manchester derbies in be. April. Yeah. You know, the FA Cup yeah. semi-final, potentially at Wembley. Yeah. Oh, uh, the two legs in the Champions League and a league game at Old Trafford. Yeah. And that you cannot, you can't even think about the pressure and the stress and oh, everything that will boil down to that. The nerves and the tension going into that, it could be a complete season changer. You know, we're going toe-to-toe at the moment. You're looking at the fixture list. We've got the FA Cup this weekend, Swansea away, and they're playing Fulham away in the league. So if they win that, they go above us again. They'll have the advantage. And then our game in hand is United away, like their game in hand was. It, there's so many similarities. So they've, like, got, they've got Chelsea Spurs, haven't they? And we've got United Spurs. Yeah. Like, they played Chelsea at home the day we played Palace away, exactly like when we won the league. Unbelievable it's that that's happened crazy. again, isn't it? <laughs> it's crazy. But the, Pali- the Palace game, I mean, we can't base last season on this season. I saw a table yesterday. I don't know if any of you saw it on Twitter floating about. It was a table with, with um, last year and this year... Uh, the difference between where we were last season in terms of the whole the whole Premier League table, the difference is so we're I think we're minus eight point seven percent worse off than we were last mm. season, with less points. Obviously, Liverpool are plus thirteen points on where they were last season or something like that, and it was just it was just showing the contrast of the seasons. But if we do look at the way that you know I rate Palace as a side, I think they're really good. They're a really dangerous yeah. side. Hudson's got them playing really good football right now. And some really, really nippy players that play a good, good style of football. And it wasn't easy last season. We were very, very lucky not to lose that game last mm. season. You know, it wasn't a penalty for me, but we very could have, we very well could have lost last yeah. year. Yeah. It wouldn't have made as much of a, a difference last season as it will this season. But it's going to be a tricky place to go. I agree with Ian hundred percent. Places like that are going to be really tough to go, and we've well, got to be at our very, let's very hope best. That they've yeah. learnt from the home game that you can't just walk over Palace in the beaters at our place so it's always going to be a tough game there's so many fine margins I wouldn't be surprised if it goes all the way down to the wire you know, Burnley away last season Danilo scores that goal in the first half and then we concede we concede that goal over the, you know ball over the top ball in behind I think it was mm. Delft weren't it that got wrong footed yeah. back of the net we, we dominate the game we're 1-0 up we somehow come away from Turf Moor with a point in a game that we should have probably won 3 or 4 nil. I thought Shocking. You could, I thought you could feel the nerves in the first half at the weekend at City. And yeah. I think that's like the first time in a while where I've, I've really felt nervous because... Did you feel that... Was that nerves you feel coming from the players or in the, st- in the stands? 
more I think more so the stands because I feel like now some City fans will maybe have a bit of bravo and be like oh you know I'm not overly bothered I'm not that nervous but really I feel like we're at the stage of the season where we are kind of doing this kind of thing we're looking at what who Liverpool have got it's us or Liverpool so, we'll, so you know when I said <clears throat> City have got five away and three at home yeah. maybe it's a good thing City are yeah. away yeah. I think it's like I, I don't know what you're saying them. it's like it's it would, like I personally believe that we're going to win the league by four points. That's what I said. I said I said six to eight points at the start of the season. I've I've lowered my expectations to four, and I've seen how how they you know it's constantly swapping and changing and whatnot. I still think they'll drop more points. I think we'll be we'll be absolutely fine. I think we'll learn from our mistakes last season. At, for example, at Turf Moor and Sellers Park, I think we'll be all right. But at the same time, like you say, you can't be too you can't be too confident. But I think that. A lot of City fans that aren't in my position and don't believe that I may be putting on a bit of a front, but it's a bit of internal anxiety and a bit of internal, you know, um, yeah. negativity that they may be thinking about the worst case scenario. So that if it does happen, we can talk it's about like all the if stands buts, but you know, what about if we get a suspension and there's a player out for three games, somebody gets injured, anything like that could potentially derail us in yeah. quite a big way. But I mean. On the that plus side, happen, it, it, it might not happen. You just don't know, and it could happen for Liverpool. It's all, it's all like plates spinning at the moment. And we're just trying to get that momentum, keep the momentum going. I'm just thinking, final whistle goes, three points, job done, move yeah. on. And happily win one nil for yeah, every game. But they did I want the goal difference. Did, but, yeah. Yeah, didn't they? they did an interview with Vinny on BT after the game the other day, and they actually asked him like, you know, do you believe that the experience, uh, do you believe that you know, obviously, winning the league in 2012. 2014, having been eight points behind United, Liverpool having slipped up uh, away from home, and then obviously against Chelsea, will stand you in good stead. And he was like, I, I firmly believe that with leaders like me in the team, he didn't say this, but I, this is what I gathered with leaders like him in the team. And he said, We've got a good group of players that are all committed, they know how Pep wants them to play. He firmly believes that the, the pressure that Liverpool have never really felt, you know, it was, it was, was it six games to go when Liverpool s- slipped up? against Palace and they were winning yeah. 3-0 weren't they and then lost to Chelsea so when it gets to if it does go to 5-4 and four, that pressure's only going to get more and yeah. more and more and more yeah. and that's when Liverpool won't be used to they felt the pressure at 6 games but they're not going to have felt it at 4 or even 3 the Champions League is going to be such a huge factor as well and yeah. I've seen a lot of City fans discussing do we want Liverpool to go through or not because Really, I'd rather play Bayern Munich than Liverpool. But then, if it means two extra games for Liverpool and possibly more, then that, that's it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a catch twenty two though. Because if they go out, it's a it, it, they lose, so it's a losing mentality. All on the gate on the Premier League though. But on the flip side of that, like you say, it's less games for them. Yeah. But would we rather them have less less games and still think they could still slip up in the league, or go into the next league game having lost to Munich with a losing mentality. And then potentially face them twice. Not only are we toe-to-toe with them in the race for the Premier League yeah. title, then we potentially face them twice to win the Champions League. Oh. So, so you three, would you rather Liverpool went through or went out? Went out. Go through. I don't want to play him. So I, but it's, it's hard to want them to go through. I know. But what is <laughs> another aspect? I spoke to, to I, I spoke to an unnamed UEFA person today because uh, I was at the press conference, and uh, so this this guy said to me, he, he, he favours <laughs> he, he favours um, City to win the, the Premier League title, and his theory was as a neutral that City's way of playing is far more energy efficient. 
and far more conducive to staying calm under pressure. Yeah. Whereas Liverpool's style of play is all energy, yeah. um, all everything in every minute frantic. of every game and frantic, yeah. like you say, and so therefore is more susceptible to pressure. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, I mean, the Burnley game at the weekend, they are feeling the nerves, aren't they? There's no doubt about it. And it's just too close to call. It's just, I don't like it because I just... You must love it. it. No, Come on, you it, say you don't like it. It's what football's all about. I know, but it's just, I'm just kind of... I know too many Liverpool fans I and question. I know what they'll be like, you know, but it, 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 I don't know. A question for me here, Em, is obviously, I think we're going to win the league, but if we look at it from another perspective... Liverpool won't do what they've done this season, next season. Not only is VAR coming in, they're going to struggle massively with that because they play on the edge. So by playing on the edge and by playing the way they play, they will get caught out massively next season because that's how they play. But what I'm looking at is like they will not compete with us the way that they've competed with us this season because, like Ian said, we're a lot calmer. You know, certain things have happened this season that have allowed them to stay in touch with us and then we've stayed in touch with them and whatnot. But I think that... In terms of points and in terms of goals scored, they're not far behind us in terms of goals scored. Obviously, we're only one point clear in terms of points. But in terms of style of play, individuals, squad depth, style of football, aesthetically pleasing football and outstanding individual players, so we're, fat, we're miles ahead of where them. Where are they dropping points then? Because you think we're going to win the league, what, by four points? So I think which, we're going to by four points. Right, which, where are they dropping Spurs. points? They'll lose to Spurs. Spurs at the moment, the form they're in. Spurs but at home. How, really? Spurs. I travel so badly. I think they'll lose to Spurs. No. Because I think I think I think the fact that Spurs are now out of that and they're going to want that top four spot, I think they, it's going to be a surprising team that's going to beat Liverpool. I, I think more so Cardiff. Away. And the only reason why I'm saying Spurs is, is Newcastle. It, it's going to be a team that are going to underestimate them. And the reason why I'm saying it is is because United expected to batter mm-hmm. Arsenal yesterday. Yeah. And because Arsenal have been a bit up and down and they, they beat them in the cup, they never expected Arsenal to turn up and play yesterday. And that's what I think Spurs Maybe are going to do. Maybe even Chelsea. Chelsea, 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 another side. Wolves on the last day. Imagine if it goes to the last day and they've got the advantage at that point by, let's say, a point. And that's where this is going. What if Cardi keep them at bay? Part of the bus. Cardi keep them at bay. There's so many. You can't predict where they're going to be. Being a City fan, we know what it's like to be in a relegation battle. You've got like, well, you've got everything to lose, but you've not, if that makes sense, because you've just got to go for it. You're fighting for your lives. Got Wolves there end, yeah. end of season. Look how so Wolves I played th- against Chelsea. I Outstanding would, I side. I would rather play the Chelsea's and the Spurs than play the relegation teams. I, I genuinely would. It, it, but the, the other thing that's in my mind as I'm looking at those fixtures is whether or not those teams are safe by then. When Liverpool play Cardiff they're very much going to still be in the relegation battle. But by the time they play Newcastle, they might be safe. Huddersfield may well have been relegated. Wolves are the sort of, feel like they're their wild card because they can produce results. You've got the Rafa factor at Newcastle, though, and he'll want to beat them. You think so? I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Won't there be conspiracy theories? That, no. And then, you, then you look at City and you think Burnley could be three games from the end. Burnley could very much still be in a relegation battle then. Uh, United could be fighting for top four. Spurs could be fighting for top four. Palace this far out, because we play them in three or four games from now, still in a relegation battle. Brighton might be safe, last day of the season. Leicester will definitely be safe. So at the very end, it's not too bad. But in those crunch games, because it feels like if there's eight to go, which there are, that it's the next five. Once you get to the last two or three, 
it almost you seems to happen. You've not got butterflies happen. thinking about it. No, I, no, have. I haven't. I'm oh, dead I calm. I feel like Laporte at back with ball at my feet. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, you've got to look at Sampton as well. Hassan Hootl's come in, and even though Sampton have lost certain games that maybe, in my opinion, they shouldn't have lost, they play much better football. They could surprise Liverpool. You look at Huddersfield, if they're already relegated, they might do what West Brom did last season. Where they actually yeah. start to play with no pressure. I think the big plus in our in our column is the experience because we've been here and we've done it and we've won it. That, that I mean, I think if anything, that week last And Pep's last our season, manager. Well yeah. Do you know what well, I mean? Could, and and if, if anyone can keep a squad calm, it's him. I, I mean the guy personifies calmness in If interviews. anything, that week last season that I was saying where we lost all three games, I think we'll it's character building. It's wisdom, we'll isn't it? It's wisdom we'll learn. And they'll and they'll take that on board and they'll they won't do it again, will they? So if you've never gone through if you've never gone through patches like that, how are you supposed to how are you supposed to um are we supposed to get over them if, if, if you come up, you know, if you, if you approach them obstacles again? If they have one big setback, you know, it, could, it could mentally destroy them. Yeah, I agree. Um, if they lost that Burnley game at the weekend, that could have been the one. But anyway, two more subjects I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, Ilkay Gundogan, who I know you're a bit of a fan of, Harlan, um, spoke today. I've come straight from the press conference ahead of the Schalke game and he was non-committal in terms of the position he has with a new contract. Uh, he's got the rest of this season and next season. He said when asked the question more or less directly, I'm 28, the next deal I make will be probably my last deal. Um, I want it to be the right one. Pep had said in the previous press conferences when asked about it that he would ra- rather Gundogan made the decision yesterday, or if not today, and that he wanted him, but Gundogan was much more measured in his answer and it was much more uh, sort of, well, you know, there may be other opportunities out there for me. And immediately I tweeted a couple of those lines out. People were saying to me, that's him gone then. Um, So how how do you feel about, first of all, Ilkay (laughs) Gundogan as a player and how important he is? Because when I mentioned it to my wife, I said, I don't think any City fans, I don't think they love Gundogan. So I think once, if if somebody was to announce he's coming in the summer, then I don't think people are going to be going, oh, not Ilkay Gundogan. And that's not, I think that's how people react. I want a player who wants to play for Manchester City, my football club. That's all I want. I think he feels like we don't want him to play for the club and that's why he's edging his bets. Well, I feel a little bit like that. I feel like he's been really hard done by and I think he's kind of misunderstood. And again, it goes back to the the Sterling point about um, being intelligent, about people don't, appreciate him as a footballer I thought he was brilliant at the weekend I thought he, he was absolutely one of our best players yeah, yeah. without that a shadow of a doubt I was watching him and some of the passes and just the little dinks and the link ups that he does he's such an intelligent footballer but on the flip side whether or not he feels unloved is, is fair enough but if he doesn't want to play for the club then goodbye because I want a player who wants to play for the club I want him to stay don't get me wrong but if you don't want to stay, then you know you're not bigger than the club. You've got the problem that he's in a position where he wants to play first team, and he's 28. So, like you say, he's at the peak of his career. I think you're going to struggle to get a player of his quality for any reasonable yeah, price true. tag in this market. So, if he does go, it's not ideal. But if we're looking at bringing in another midfielder, say on Dombele, for example, then that's going to limit his game time even more. But then you've got the flip side where David Silva might start to drop out of the team yeah, a bit more because lately he's not been playing anywhere near the quality that he has and obviously he's getting towards the end of his career now. So there might be a more opportunity for Gundogan there. But 
Pep can't guarantee that. And then obviously there's the argument people want Foden to start playing more, whether he's ready to start in place of David Silva is a huge debate. But I think for, for Gundogan, I don't think he feels appreciated as much as he maybe should be. The problem is that he's not at De Bruyne and David's level, which is when he replaces one of them, that's where the stick comes from. Is because Exactly. People expect him to be able to do the same. But I do, I do think he's a good footballer. So if we did lose him, I don't think that'd be ideal. But I don't think he's irreplaceable, so to speak. And Dombele, for me, is the player that we need to sign. I know Alar's been touted as a potential replacement. Obviously, Jorginho was in the summer. So glad we didn't get him. That's a bullet dodged. Um, and Dombele is the player that we need, in my opinion. I personally think, on the same lines as you, Matty, that it'll be David Silva that eventually moves out of the side or even moves on or moves back to Valencia maybe or goes back to uh, Las Palmas or something like that. I think Gundogan could easily play next to Bernardo Silva. I think they've got a fantastic bond, a fantastic relationship on the pitch and Fernandinho or Ndombele would rotate for the next two seasons until Fernand moves on. And I personally think that going, just talking about Gundogan as a player... So if that's a big shout... Fernandinho like that just you were quite flippant with Fernandinho I love Fernandinho but I mean Fernandinho obviously be, when we speak about Ndombele or Awar or any of them players we're talking about them replacing Fernandinho we're never going to replace Fernandinho because you can't replace a player that's been such a great player at a club we'll never replace David Silva Bernardo's not replacing David Silva all he's doing is he's stepping into that that void that position yeah. and he's giving us what David Silva kind of give us but he's giving us a different a different option as well. But what I'm trying to say, uh, Emily, is that Dembele, uh, Endon Bailey, sorry, would rotate with Fernandinho, which is what he would have done had we had signed him at the start of this season. And then Fernandinho will be phased out naturally because his career at City will come to a natural end. It won't be like he's being forced out, so to speak. But will he be happy with, with being rotated? Probably not, but I think exactly. he's got so to the, got the age now where... you've got the same problem again, though, haven't you? You've got the same problem with Gundogan. He doesn't seem... I don't see Gundogan as an older midfielder. I think he's far more beneficial to Manchester City in a three-man midfield in a more attacking but role. But he's not going to start ahead of Bernardo. Start ahead. Kevin, but he'll start... But I think, I, think that, I think that Kevin's competing with Bernardo Silva to get in that team now, and he wouldn't be competing with Gundogan. I think Gundogan would be competing with David Silva and you'd have a, a, a more creative player in Bernardo that's going to do all the running for you and Gundogan's going to sit next to him and do the more disciplined stuff with a holding midfielder no behind him. no way them. he's going to replace David Silva. He won't replace he's him, what? but he can sit in that three-man midfield because exactly, I think the bond that he's got with What Bernardo's you're saying fantastic. there is that he'll do a job, but as your first team player, if you're putting out your strongest team, to go and play next season, Gundogan's not in it, is it, he? I think, I think going back to what we said with, with, with Ian and Paul the other week, Omar, it depends on the opposition. It depends on the opposition you're playing. Pep picks a team depending on the opposition you're playing. So yeah. maybe David Silva will be better in the team in the eleven to play a certain opposition where we need a bit more creativity. Gundogan might be picked if we need a bit more discipline in that midfield and Bernardo can have a bit more of a free role in the team. Yeah, and we've that, seen him used as well like that in a sub role. He's been brought on quite a lot. Yeah. That's why I say it's not ideal. If we did lose him, it's not ideal because you want a player of quality to replace. And if we were going to get someone to replace Gundogan... And you're not going to get anyone for anywhere near what we spent on Gundogan. I bought 
six million, I think it was that we bought him for. That's a slip. Can Pep guarantee him the amount of games that he wants? That's that's the issue. Well, on that bombshell, we'll move on to the next topic because uh, there's two more things I want to talk about. We'll finish you with a little bit of a look ahead to the Champions League draw. Fingers crossed that City are in it. Should be, but never take anything for granted. Um, what did you make of the fan attacks? Because I grew up in an era, and no disrespect, but a little bit Emily might have done because she's a little bit older than you two. Um, that makes you sound really old, doesn't it? And I don't mean it like that. But I certainly remember the fencing first coming in. I remember a pitch invasion at Main Road when Spurs came in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup and the horses on the pitch. Yeah. And I grew up in the 70s and all the violence that was around then. We saw the fences come in. We then saw what happened at Hillsborough, which arguably was if not caused by, certainly exasperated by the fact that there was fencing in there where people couldn't escape. So now, because one idiot gets on the pitch, and I know there were other um, incidents that have happened, but this is the one that's mainly been highlighted, that one idiot gets on the pitch, attacks Jack Grealish, and suddenly the question is about, you know, should fence... Or one of the questions I've heard is that should fences come back in? Um, I'm dead against it because... Um, I obviously worry about the safety of spectators and an escape route if something happened in the stadium. Bradford Fire, I mean, I know fires are a lot less likely these days because of modern stadiums, but still, that was an evacuation route to come out onto the pitch. And pitches, uh, stadiums have now been designed so you can exit onto the pitch. What if there was a bomb I threat would, outside the ground? I was just about to say yeah. that terrorism. The pitch sometimes is yeah. the safest place to be, so there has to be access to the pitch. But now, because of what's happened, and, and obviously the other thing I could bring into this is the last, last season's FA Cup tie at Wigan, when all the Wigan fans invaded the pitch. Mm. And that was even with stewards all in quite thickly dotted all around the stadium. What, if there's a will from supporters to come on en masse, they'll be able to do it now. And an individual, you wouldn't have shoulder-to-shoulder stewards all around the stadium, just in case one person randomly and no predictable point in the game invaded so therefore the, the danger is still there so how do you stop it by me i'm open a cap and a worms um, up but i'd love to hear what you think i of think it. it's it's off to a quite a good start today because he's been sent immediately to jail for 14 weeks so they've made an example of him already they set the precedent that they won't take it and it's completely disgusting We'd probably be out by May, though, won't we? Probably only serve like half of it. But even still, he's going to jail and he's serving a, um, the time for committing such a heinous crime. Um, but we saw it, didn't we? Like you said about the Wigan game, and Sergio Aguero got the blame for that. And people like. Amazingly. Amazingly, like a Wigan fan walks up to him and being really aggressive and in his face. He's trying to defend himself as a footballer. But if you encroach on the pitch, you're committing a crime. Now, you're going to say pitch invasions, aren't you? And what will happen with pitch invasions? Because, like, we're big fans of running on the pitch. You're in the title. title. It's explosive, isn't it? It's It's an emotion. It is, in a way, completely different. But then it's one rule for one, then it has to be... I mean, Emily, there's one nothing to stop well, us. My, the, the question is, sorry, Harlan, is, fine, is, is how do you actually stop it? Because on the last day of the season, believe it or not, City's instructions to the stewards not, were, yeah. do yeah. not let them on. Yeah. All the announcements are, do not come on, mm-hmm. please do not come on. But it isn't that they gave up and let you come on. No, they did. Want, did well, maybe... I, when I was walking up, they, they were just like, oh, God. Eventually they might have done yeah. that, once they realised so it had been, it'd been breached. But, but the initial thought 
is to actually stop you. Yeah. But it is impossible without fencing if the whole crowd decides that they're going to do it. So that so there's loads of different different aspects to it. There's you quite rightly brought in another one that I wasn't referring to, but there's the more aggressive version at Wigan. There's the individual, and obviously the people have said he could have come on with a knife. Of course, the other side of that argument was he would have been searched before he came in. Yeah. So if that's done correctly, that shouldn't be a worry. But I do get mm. the concern about that. And the terrorism thing as well. We saw it um, in, in Paris when the Paris attacks happened and the bomb went off outside um, the um, Stade de France. When that happened, everybody ran on the pitch because it was quite possibly the safest place to be at that time because you don't know what's going to happen. Can you imagine if there's fencing brought back in and I also heard today a quote um, of somebody saying that there should be um, people armed in the ground and that's even worse for me bringing guns into it we don't live in America we we do not bring guns into it Sevilla Sevilla have it is an overreaction completely massively overreaction you just said it there it's impossible unless you've got fencing which nobody wants and that would just be a step backwards rather than a step forward you can't stop one idiot from deciding I'm going to go and run on the pitch and and either could, run round or hit like someone. A, even though he gets searched, they could sneak a, a weapon in. They could well, sneak they something in. Well, they bring in flares, don't they? Yeah. Even though, they, in theory, they're body searched. You know, I mean, all right, Schalke tomorrow night, I, I, I don't know, I'm tempting fate by saying this, but they don't strike me as being a fan base that's going to be trying to bring in flares. And there are certain clubs that have reputations for this. But if City played um, another club in the next round, um, uh, uh, and I, I'm not picking any individual club out but Ajax just to use them as an example the Dutch tend to have a bit more of a reputation for flares and stuff like that mm. they'll get them in yeah. despite the searching because yeah. it's happened before hasn't it mm. yeah so um, that means anything can be smuggled in in theory well in, at Wembley um, my bag got checked and I say very loosely checked and when I got in the ground I looked in it and I still had a full can of beer in there and Without realizing, just like that could have been a bomb. It's like it's like for example, I got in the ground, and this is this this was completely accidental. I I used to work in a warehouse, and I'd I'd I'd, I'd accidentally on my break because I didn't need it for the afternoon uh, part of the shift. I'd put my um, Stanley knife in my pocket, <gasps> in my bag, and did not check the front pocket on my bag. And then I've gone in to, to get my packet of crisp and found the, yeah. my Stanley yeah. underneath. And I thought, it's, it, it's very lucky that I'm not bringing that yeah. in intentionally because yeah. you've not even flagged it up. It seems Them ones we, are useless. We learn, for, learn from mistakes. I think I went in Manchester Arena <coughs> two weeks before... Watch this now, City are going to be on that. <laughs> this lab with knife here, like. Yeah. But uh, I went into Manchester Arena two weeks before that bombing and literally didn't get checked hardly at all. And then I went in after it and it's... Metal scanners everywhere. And yeah, it's but like, after why does it take so much? Like where are the metal scanners? They're in the lobby where the bomb went off. Well, yeah. Not before you get to the lobby. There's always so much you can do. You, you're on this uh, committee, you know, as a fans representative. Is, that, is this? You think this will be brought up we now? Talk, has it ever been talked we've about? We talked about um, perimeter security. So actually going into the Etihad as a jet light around City Square and that. So around the whole perimeter of the Etihad, not. No, I'm not saying that this is something they're planning or anything. This is just something we've discussed. Because at the minute, you've got the frustration that there's long queues to get in. But I would rather queue for 10 minutes than there be a possibility that someone snuck a knife in. So I think you can't stop individuals running on the pitch. But you can damn sure make sure they don't have anything on them that could cause serious harm yeah, to yeah, a player. Exactly. 
Um, and that, that's where I stand on it, is that I don't mm. think fencing fencing's a bad idea. More steward, there's been more cuts than ever in the uh, police force and stewards. So there's not, there's not really a lot you can do inside the ground, I don't think. The stewards have to be aware and just make sure that individual idiots are stopped before they can get to a player. But I think for me, it has to come from outside the stadium where security has to be tight and you can't let someone, like you say, with a knife. Yeah, you of course. can't let them... Don't let Harlan in anymore. Yeah. Right, no, final uh, question. One, one thing I want to say before you carry on, Ian, is let me do what you <coughs> normally do now and, and put something into the ring because that's what you normally do. Devil's Advocate always chuck something in there to try and catch me out. Nobody else, just me. Oh, um, yeah. It's feeling first. You I'm UA for no, now. No, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, you mentioned, uh, yeah, you mentioned down, obviously, uh, Jack, Jack Grealish's um, immaturity before. I'd, this isn't my personal opinion. I'm just throwing it into the ring. Do you think that football players should be briefed on their 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 behaviour towards fans, they shouldn't need to be briefed. No. You not do briefed. not go into the crowd. But what, I, but, but what I mean Common is, sense. for example, I'm looking at the Pickford thing at the weekend where he's goading, yeah, he's goading right. the Newcastle fans with his tongue in a massive. You know, he's an ex Sunderland player. He's running over. There was nothing stopping one of them Newcastle fans reacting to you're that right. impulsively and going up to. He, they didn't want to even. Well, he come to collect the ball. They, the there was nothing stopping the him you going to the boards and swiping games. at him. You because I think the, the you know Rudiger he stuck his fingers up at us after the Chelsea six 0 win. But it's fine. You, know you give it, you got to take yeah. it. Got to give, yeah, yeah, of course but you have. But I just like players do need to set an example. You know, you're all models, aren't you? You, you, you know, you, you fans are out of order. That. I've heard a lot of stuff that's out of order that I'd love to turn around and say to people. Even Addy Bayo doing that sliding, you know, when he scored against Arsenal. It looked great, but then when you actually thought about the deeper line. It's exactly what you just... said before about Raheem Sterling Correct. and yeah. how you react is a mark of In the, the moment, person he reacted well. He just sat on the floor and laughed at yeah. him. So to be fair, I think Graham is happy. I'm not going to ask the last question because by the time people listen to this, we could have gone out against Schalke. Mm. No. The draw could have been made. Anything could happen. So let's just take it that I assume that we don't really want to play United or Liverpool just because it's yeah. you know going to be such a tense game and hopefully we get a good draw if we get through. Yeah. So thanks very much. Don't forget, <laughs> go to the www.footballblongingawards.co.uk slash vault dash now, which you've seen at the beginning on the graphic of the video. And obviously, if you follow us on Twitter, I'll put it in the, the links that I do on social media. You can also vote at Ian Cheeseman just put that in there voting for best vlogger best podcast at the FBAs thanks very much to Hot Click Marketing at Hot underscore Click give him a follow City fan who runs the shop and he does all sorts of stuff to help you if you've got a business that needs uh, putting up high on Google and everything much cleverer than I am so thanks very much to my guests thanks very much to uh, to you for listening we'll be back with another podcast next week now the difference is next week the podcast is going to be recorded on Tuesday. So normally we record on a Monday evening and it goes out usually late Monday, early Tuesday in England. But next week I'm going to watch Les Mis. Uh, so I can't record it next week. So we're a, date night. So we're, over, so we're a week, uh, a, a day later. But we'll, we'll get back. your review next week on the Yeah, podcast. yeah, I'll do, it, I'll do a review. <laughs> so uh, uh, All being well, Les it's Mis. going to be Matty again, it's going to be Harlan again and Adam, who's not been here for a couple of weeks. 
could change. Um, squad. Sometimes people get injured. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. I've out. been injured a few times. It's not. I've not been on international duty, but I've only been playing sixty minutes. International duty. Pull yeah, let's hope to finish off here. Let's hope that Liverpool are less miserable at the end of the season. Yeah. Very good, that. Thank you. Right, that's it for this time. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>